This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Pastor Alan and Miss Joy are out this morning. They're out of town. And so it's an honor to be here for them this morning. I've titled the message, Preparing for the Best. Uh, you've heard the phrase, preparing for the worst, right? You know, when life happens, it's easy to fall into the trap of negativity. You know, when life happens, it's easy to begin thinking it's never going to get any better. But I believe this morning, the Lord wants to orientate our perspective. If we can just come around a fresh perspective, I believe the Lord would actually help us to begin preparing our lives for something good and something better. There's a verse in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. It said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Here's what I love about that verse. It says that the crown of life is on its way for those who have the ability to do one thing, stand fast. For those who have the ability to stand in the middle of the test, God says, I have my best stored up for you. I, here's the thing. Um, I'm not good at tests. You know, I don't even like the mention of the word test. Some of y'all have been out of school for 40, 50 years, and you still don't even like hearing the sound of a test. In fact, I was not a good test taker. I remember walking around telling my teachers, telling my parents, I am not a good test taker. You know, I, I could turn in my homework, I could do the projects, I could skirt along, I could barely get by. But when it came to the tests, I just knew I was not good at tests. My senior year of high school, I remember I was taking a class called humanities. Don't ask me what that word means because I still don't know. <laughs> But all I knew was my grade was right on the line. And if I was going to get college credit for this class, I was going to have to pray for a miracle or try something I've never tried before. Study. <laughs> and so I remember literally for the first time, I was a senior in high school getting ready to graduate. And I made the decision, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to study. And I remember, sometimes you guys, my stories, you're like, do you make some of those details up? No, no, no. I'm a pastor. Pastors don't lie. Here's the thing. I remember I studied for 11 hours. You know how I remember that? Because it was so foreign to me that I actually counted the minutes I was studying to prove to my parents the studying doesn't work. Only it did. I was caught off guard and I actually got the grade. I remember in thinking back on this story is, here's the thing, sometimes I was so prepared for the worst that I forgot to prepare for the best. You see, when we walk into the tests in life, sometimes what can begin to happen is we can fall into the trap already assuming and believing that the worst is headed our way. The Lord is asking the question, do you have what it takes to stand firm in the middle of the test? And continue to believe that God's best is just right on the other side. But sometimes we don't know how strong we are. Uh, do you, the worst test was not biology, was not math for me. Oh man, this is embarrassing. It was the physical fitness test. All right, y'all remember that one? Oh, they, they made you do the sit and reach. Now, I don't know who came up with this, okay? If you remember the sit and reach, this was one of the worst tests. You would sit down on the ground and you would have to see how far your hands could reach out in front of you. And you had to touch a line to see how far. I'm thinking the whole time, I'm like, the Lord gave me these hammies, okay? There's nothing I could do to study enough to get them to go any farther. It was the worst test. But the pull-ups, 
The pull-ups, they were the worst. You remember hanging on that bar in front of the whole class thinking there is no pull-up happening here. I just hang in there, right? But then it was the pacer, all right? If the first two didn't get you, this one would. You remember the pacer? The pacer was where you stood on one line in the gym and they played a, a whistle or a bell. And by the time the bell rang again, you had to hit the line on the other side of the gym and it just sped up and it sped up and you back and forth, back and forth till eventually you just pass out, can't breathe on the floor, right? It was the worst test ever. Now, here's the thing. I always walked into that. I was no athlete, obviously, expecting that I wasn't going to do well. But can I tell you something? I was actually shocked by how strong or how much I actually could do. Every time I got done with it, you know, I never quite did what I wished that I could do. But I was always amazed that I actually did better than I thought I could. And because here's, here's what happens. We often don't know how strong we are until our strength is actually tested. See, what happens sometimes is we get so focused on the worst that is to come, we can't even see the strength that God is building up inside of us in the middle of the test. So we have to ask ourselves this question. If we're going to prepare for God's worst instead of for, or if we're going to prepare for God's best instead of for the worst, we have to ask ourselves, what can we do to get stronger? Um, I didn't live in Texas in 2008. I moved to Texas in 2008, but uh, I wasn't here. You guys are much more familiar with Hurricane Ike than I was. In 2008, 140 plus miles per hour wind completely wreaked havoc on the city. And I'll never forget that even though I wasn't from here, I remember seeing a picture going viral all over across all the news stations. And that picture was this picture right here. If you remember this picture, you can look at it and you see, obviously, the devastation. But if you're like me, you look at it and you think, wow, there was a lot destroyed. That was a big disaster. But then you move on quickly to the question of, what in the world did that guy do to his house? <laughs> in our life, sometimes I think we get so busy looking for all the disaster around that we never stop and ask the question, how do I be like that guy? How do I have the strength to stand in the middle of the storm? How do I have the strength to live God's best even when life throws its worst our way? Matthew chapter 7 says this. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, the words of the Lord, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. See, there's something different about that house. You see, the owner of that house in that picture had been through a previous storm and had some damage. So much so that he said things are going to have to look different the next time around that he went in and built his house to meet hurricane standards. He went all out and he was prepared to stand when everyone else fell. The question we have to ask ourselves in the world that we live in is how do we be that guy? How do we be that girl? How do we stand in the midst of the storms and the chaos and the tragedy and the things that happen all around us? Because the reality is this. When you look at that picture, there were lots of people who had built their dream home. People who had saved their whole life to build a house on the beach, their dream home. 
They thought they were ready to live the dream, but in reality, they were living in a disaster. I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to move from a dream to a disaster. I'm looking for God to do something on the inside of me, to pour a strength inside of me that even when I'm met with opposition, even when I come up against a big wall or mountain that I don't know how I'm going to get over, there is this fresh reminding of the Lord inside of me. You don't have to step into disaster because God intends for you to step into your destiny. How do we move from dream to destiny? There's a group of people in the Bible, in the book of Exodus. Last time I was here, I spoke on Exodus 32, uh, six weeks ago, and I've only made it through one more chapter, so we're moving slow, okay? Exodus chapter 33 is where we're going to be today. The people of Israel had received bad news after bad news. In fact, they had semi just gotten out of this uh, little mini civil war they had going on. 3,000 men die, fall by the sword. To top it all off, you ever notice those times when it feels like bad news is followed by bad news? The plague came across their people. And so men had died and the plague had struck and they're ready for something good. And in Exodus chapter 33, we read these words. It says this. Exodus chapter 33, it says, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Sorry. But I will not, okay, sorry, here we go, found it. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but God says, I'm not going to go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on their ornaments. So they come out of a disaster, and they're looking for the dream, Right? It's that season of something better is on the other side. And God says, the dream, the promise that I have given you from so long ago is going to happen. Only there's going to be a minor change. I'm not going with you. And if you're those people in that moment, your heart is sinking. You're thinking, I'm finally about to step into the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. We've been talking about this for generation after generation. But God says, I can't go with you. The life you're living, I cannot go with you. Uh, he says, or else I would consume you. Now, I don't know if you've ever been driving in the car and felt like consuming your kids, right? But they find themselves in this situation where God's like, I cannot go with you. And so it feels like they're getting a piece of the dream, but it's missing the most important part, the presence of God. They get bad news after bad news followed by bad news. And in that moment, they begin to mourn. The Bible says they begin to mourn and they actually change what they're wearing. They take off their religious garb and they move onward, feeling discouraged and alone and depressed because of the disastrous word that they had just heard. But then there's this guy named Moses. Moses has a different perspective. Moses has a different response. While the people are mourning, they're mourning the fact that their plans had changed. They're mourning the fact that their plans no longer looked the way that they thought it would. The dream was changing all around them and they weren't sure how to handle it. They began to mourn the fact that they were carrying the weight of their problems. They're carrying the weight of their sin and the mistakes that they had made leading up into that moment. 
So if they're ever going to shift from the worst perspective to the best perspective, something was going to have to change within them. A couple of months ago, I was sleeping. I love my sleep. I sleep hard. I sleep well. I can't wait to go to bed and I don't want to wake up. But the only person who sleeps harder than me is a pregnant wife. (laughs) And a couple of months ago, I'm mid-sleep in the middle of the night when I get a whack right on the face. And I come up out of my sleep. And if you've ever been startled out of your sleep, you know, you come up, I'm ready to fight, right? And so when I calmed down, I looked at my wife and I said, did you just hit me? And she goes as innocent, if you met my, so innocent and sweet. No, honey. And I said, well, somebody hit me. And she goes, well, it wasn't me. Obviously, she was completely asleep. And in that moment, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for her to take some personal responsibility for what she has just done. See, sometimes when we mourn, Sometimes when we're grieving the weight of the problems in our life, the Lord is looking at us saying, hey, I'm ready to move forward. The dream is just on the other side, but we're going to have to start taking some personal responsibility, start strengthening ourselves and preparing ourselves in the Lord and in his strength so that we can move into the destiny that God has set out for us. And Moses has a perspective that nobody else in the camp has. We're going to read it in Exodus chapter 33. It says this in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, Moses says, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And consider too, God, that this nation, these people, are your people. And God said, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Moses brings something up. He says to the Lord, if your presence will not go with me, then don't bring us up from here at all. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said this, Lord, please show me your glory. I'm very intrigued by this passage. I'm I'm so intrigued by Moses' exchange with God. Moses is having an encounter with God and he knows something deep inside. He knows that if God doesn't go with us, then it's not worth going at all. Moses knows that the only strength that they had in life was the presence of the Lord being with them. And so Moses begins to ask the tough questions. And he looks at God and he said, God, I've never once thought that going into the dream meant going without you. And if that's the case, I don't want the dream. I want you. Moses has this deep, resolute perspective that even in the worst of moments, he has the ability to say, I am preparing myself to stand strong that I might receive the crown of life. I'm standing strong in the presence of the Lord. I believe there are some things that we can learn from Moses in this situation. If we're to prepare ourselves for God's best, then there are some things that we're going to have to do. Like Moses, number one, we're gonna have to move into the presence 
of the Lord. If you want to see God's best in your life, you're going to have to move yourself as close as you can to the presence of the Lord. Another way to say that is we have to begin to seek out the presence of God. It has to be our number one priority. There are some themes throughout scripture, some things that we see over and over and over again that clue us in to say we should pay attention right here. And one of those major themes all throughout scripture, if you look in the book of Genesis, the whole scene, the whole story starts with God in the garden with his people. The Bible even says that God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. It all started with God with his people. Some things went awry, some things got messed up, but the New Testament opens in the Gospels with the very opening line that his name is called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. The New Testament opens on the scene saying the same God who has always loved you has one desire and that's to be with you. So all this that he's doing is for the sake and purpose of us being in his presence which should tell us that our number one priority when we live our life, the number one way that we can prepare ourselves for God's best is to move in to the presence of God, to press in, to seek after the Lord. I'll, uh, when I uh, went to college, uh, I was an RA in the dorm. An RA in the dorm, you worked in the dorm, you got free food, which is, yeah, great, sign me up. And uh, a free dorm, free dorm room. And uh, so I did that for a couple of years, and I'll never forget the year that my wife joined the RA group. Uh, we weren't married at the time. I hadn't met her yet. And um, I'll never forget because, you know, I used to be in it to really serve the people, you know. And then she showed up. All I wanted to do was serve her. So we had this thing. We had a radio in the office. And every night that radio was in the office, and if one of the dorms needed someone, they would, they would uh, radio down and say, hey, we need this fixed, or hey, we need this. And, and so I remember when I wasn't even working, I would sit in that office and listen for that radio. And I wasn't listening just for any dorm to call. I was listening for the Spence dorm, which is where she lived and worked. And so I waited for them to call and say, hey, we need to move this dresser. I'm on it. Uh, hey, the girls ran out of toilet paper again, go figure, right? And so I'm on it. And so I'm running to the janitor's closet and I am going over and I am ready. Why? Because I knew that if I went to their building, she might be there. And any opportunity I could get to be in her presence was worth doing whatever I had to do to get there. And so what happens in our life is we have to do the same thing. How willing are you to put yourself in the presence of God? What are you willing to lay down, to give up, to sacrifice, to go without so that you can have the presence of Jesus with you? How early will you get up to spend time with him? How, how many sacrifices along the way are you willing to make so that you can choose to be in his presence? You see, here's what Moses did. It says in Exodus 33 that Moses actually had a tent set up outside of the camp. And this tent was known as the place where God met with Moses and talked with him as a man talks with his friend. Moses would go out to the camp, uh, out to the tent. And when he did, the people in the camp, here's what they would do. The Bible says that they would stand up in the doors of their tent and watch Moses as he walked out of the camp to his tent to meet with God. And the Bible says that when God's presence showed up, it was so thick, it was a pillar of cloud, it says. His glory was so dense, it was all over the tent. 
And what happens was the people who once stood in the tent door watching, something changed. When God showed up, when his presence showed up in their life, they went from watching to worshiping. The Bible actually says that as they stood in the door of their tent, they would begin to worship as they see the presence of God. And I believe the Lord is asking us to do the same thing. If we're going to prepare ourselves, if we're going to strengthen ourselves for God's best, then we have to move off the bleachers, off the sidelines, and get in the game. Move from watching to worshiping. We don't have church for the sake of entertainment. You know why we do this? We do this for the encounter that you can have with the God of the universe. Pastor Allen says this all the time. He says, when it gets personal, it gets powerful. When it gets personal, it gets powerful. When we move into the presence of God, here's what we're doing. We're letting it become very personal in our lives. And all of a sudden, we walk out with new priorities and a power to do immeasurably more than all we ever even imagined or dreamed will be possible. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17 says this. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. You know the Lord has a promise for you? That is when you seek him, when you move into his presence, he says you'll actually find him. There's no person who's too far off. Your life doesn't have to be a certain way. The Lord's promise is you press in and he'll press in too. There's another verse in um, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 and it says, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he does in fact reward those who seek him. Believe that he exists so much so that you move into his presence and what you find is that he will reward you. In the midst of the test, you're not sure what to do. Press in. When, when things don't turn out the way you had expected, what do you do? You press in. The second thing I think we learned from Moses is this. Moses had this bold, audacious prayer about him. He said to the Lord face to face, he said, Lord, show me your glory. In other words, Moses wasn't hesitant to ask God to show up and do something great in his life. When, when we do that, here's what begins to happen. We get a new and fresh perspective. I'm a youth pastor, so i got to have an illustration, right? So here's my illustration for the day. You ever, uh, I'm not a good cook, okay? And so I want to spend as little time in the kitchen as possible. Especially when it's the end of the day and you're trying to clean up and trying to give your kid a bath and trying to get to bed yourself. And so you're just cleaning up as fast as you can. And there is nothing, ah, oops, sorry. There is nothing worse. There is nothing worse than trying to put the, the leftovers away. You know what's even worse than this? Saran wrap. You know what I'm talking about? So what you find is you're just struggling, trying to get by. Well, can I tell you something that was worth your price of admission today? Um, I was today years old when I learned that on the side of a foil box, for those of you who've been in the kitchen, you're already nodding your heads. You start shouting amen. Here we go. On the side of a foil box are these little tabs that all you have to do is push them in so that when you go to pull your foil... It's as easy as ever. Now, some of you are thinking, 
Yeah, you're a youth pastor. Glad you figured life out. Um, <laughs> you know what happens here? A fresh perspective has the power to change a lot of things. The creator of this foil box spent time designing it in such a way to make it easier and better for your experience. But often, if we're not willing to see things with a new perspective, we completely miss out on all that it has to offer. And the Lord would say the same thing. The creator, the designer of your life says, I want to get you in my presence because here's what happens in the Lord's presence. In the Lord's presence, you get a fresh perspective. Things start getting clearer. Things that you had trouble seeing before start becoming alive again inside of your life in ways you didn't even know could. And the Lord says, all you have to do is get into my presence. And when you do, you'll walk out with a new perspective You're not sure what to do about your job. The Lord says, get into my presence and I'll show you something you didn't know you could do. The Lord says, hey, come to me with your finances and I can help you in ways that you didn't, you had no idea how it was all going to balance out. And the Lord says, I can help you. What we find is that as we go to him and we push into his presence, he gives us a fresh perspective. I've worn glasses my whole life. I remember in the third grade, uh, I had a pair of tortoise shell glasses, you know. They were, they were not cool back then, but they are today, so I should have kept them. Um, but uh, I moved to contacts as quickly as I could. But the thing about glasses is this. I'm, I'm going to very simply, you know, uh, amuse you here. But it's like if I take the glasses off, things are blurry. If I put the glasses on, things look clear. The Lord says... Why in the world would you walk around without the perspective that you need to live life? And when we, when we spend our time in the presence of the Lord, it's like putting on the glasses so that we can see clearly. For me in my life, I know that there have come some decision points, some moments of crisis where I've been looking for what to do. And the Lord says, if you'll only come to me, I'll give you the perspective that you need. As we do that, something begins to happen. For Moses, it was this. Moses made this decision. I think we can learn from it. He says this, Moses was in the presence of God, so he got a fresh perspective. And here's what Moses knew. You see, Moses had known the promise of God. He was well-versed in it. He was leading a people to the promise of God. He knew that it was good. But it wasn't just the promise. Moses had also seen the power of God work amongst the people. The people had been in slavery for over 400 years and Moses watched as God delivered them out of Egypt and out of slavery. He had witnessed the power of God. He knew about the promise of God, but you know what Moses wanted more than anything else? The presence of God. You see, Moses told God, God, if you're not going with us, we're not going at all. Here's what he knew. He knew that he would rather be in the wilderness with God than in the promised land without him. There was this resolute strength with inside of Moses that he knew that I want God with me wherever I go. If I'm in the desert, I'll be in the desert. If I'm in the dry places, I'll be in the dry places. But as long as I'm with God, everything will be clear. Everything will make sense. When we push in to the presence of the Lord and we ask him to show up in our lives, he gives us a perspective that we need to weather through the worst and make it to the best. When I um, think about this for our lives, I think, you know, 
It's one thing to say, invite the presence of God, but what does that look like? What if for you tomorrow you woke up 15 minutes early and you opened up your phone and you went to Bible 365 and you opened it up and you spent 10 minutes reading the word. And when you got done, you said, hey, Alexa, play some worship music. And Alexa begins to play worship music in your house. My question to you would be, what might happen to your perspective throughout the day? How might you walk stronger? What might you know that you needed to know when you walked into the office? When some drama happens at work and you have this peace and strength about you because you spent time in the presence of the Lord, something will begin to happen inside of you. The presence of God in your life changes everything. And the best part is that when God gets so a hold of your life, people start to look at you and say there is something different about him. How can he be the house standing in the middle of the disaster? How can his dream still look like there is so much hope in it, even when everything seems to be falling apart in his life? Why? Because the presence of God is with us. I moved here. I had been here a month. When I moved to Texas, I bought a truck because that's what you do, right? And uh, I had this big old truck, and it was a great truck for a while, and I moved here. And a month after I moved here, we just moved, you know, bought a house. There's a lot of expenses in moving. Life's expensive. And, and uh, I took my truck in to get a little bit of a tune-up and a little worked on, and I picked it up. And as I'm driving down the interstate, I'm going about 70 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, my brakes don't work. I pull up to this off-ramp, and I just coast to the off-ramp, and I'm thinking inside of my head, what did they do to my car? I go back, I get it all the way back to the dealership and I go and he says, oh yeah, you got problems. And I said, well, I didn't have problems. Now I have problems. And so he says, well, it's going to be about $2,000 to fix. And I said, what? In that moment, I'm going to be honest with you. I know this is going to shock some of you, but I'm a human and I lost my cool. I lost it. I'll never forget what happened next. I'm paying, I'm checking out, and he asked me a seemingly innocent question. Where do you work? <laughs> um, the ark. <clears throat> what do you do? Um, the Lord spoke to me in that moment right there. Your witness matters. We have to be known for the presence of God going with us. And the only way we can respond with grace and peace in the middle of the junk is to spend our time with him, to know him, to be known by him. So thankfully, Alan didn't fire me. <laughs> but when I walked into the church, I realized something. My witness matters. How do I prepare for the best? How do I move not to disaster, but to God's destiny for my life? I let his presence overtake who I am. Walk with me, guide me, give me direction and hope and peace. When I was in high school, uh, they have this yearbook signing at the end of the year, if you remember. You get a bunch of signatures, everybody signs, and then you close the book and you put it in the attic and never look at it again. So it's fun at the time. It was my last day of senior year, and this girl who I had a casual acquaintance with in the hallways as we had passed over the years, and 
didn't really know her name. I didn't know much about her. And I remember she came to me and I gave her my yearbook. She started signing it. She asked me this question. She said, why are you always so happy? In that moment, I realized, well, one, I'm not always happy. But you know what I do have? The presence of God always goes with me. Everywhere that I go, he goes with me. And the lost and dying world around us looks at that and says, God is up to something there. I want what they have. Moses told the Lord, is it not in your going with us that we, your people, are distinct from every other nation on the face of the planet? So please, Lord, do not leave us and do not forsake us. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, is similar to many verses throughout the Bible. It says this, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. On all kinds of scriptures throughout the Bible, we see that the Lord tells him, be strong, prepare for the best, and be courageous. And every single time, you know what he says? You can be strong because I'm going to be with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I know there are some people who came in the room today. You've been preparing for the worst, but you realize that it's time to start preparing for God's best in your life. You're looking for hope and strength. Can I tell you right now, with everything inside of me, you can find it when you find God. You don't know how to go to work tomorrow and face what you gotta face. You can do it when you go with God. You got kids, they're struggling and it's an inner turmoil inside of your heart. You're not sure what to do. Can I tell you, if you invite the presence of God, it changes everything. Whatever you're going through today, whatever you've been through in the past, just know this, God wants to be with you. The good news is we don't have to be like Moses. We don't have to leave the camp and go out and walk into a tent and wait for him to show up. The good news is that when Jesus Christ came and paid for your sins and your death on the cross, when he was raised again from the dead, he gave a gift. That gift was the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and me when we choose to believe in him, which means literally everywhere that we go, he goes with us. I wanna pray for you. God, I pray for every person in the room right now pray you give them a reminder of your presence that they're to have an encounter with you today and tomorrow and the next day that would radically alter and change the course of their life right now if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus or you've been far from him and you're sensing the Lord is calling you back into his presence you're ready to stop watching and start worshiping if that's you would you slip your hand up right now we want to pray for you we're not going to call you out or embarrass you in any way thank you I see hands thank you Thank you, we see your hands. We're gonna pray and we're gonna say yes to God all together. Would you pray this with me? Dear God, I know mankind needs a savior and I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that God raised you from the dead. 
So right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I am a new creation in Christ because I said yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.